0: Welcome to this message from City Bible Church in Portland, Oregon. City Bible Church is a vibrant community of people with one common desire to experience God, enjoy people, and celebrate life. We're talking about the word compassion in this particular series. The word compassion is a field word as the Greek word denotes in its own definition how Jesus used the word. We're going to go to the Gospels in just a moment. If you'd like to find Luke chapter 4 to begin with, we're going to start there in just a second. But the word compassion means to be uh, moved with compassion, have a depth of feeling for people who have a need. You don't have to go far to find these people. They're everywhere. You might even be one of those people right now in a season of need in your life. Compassion is to see the need, feel the need, and then... Have action, you show love and you show kindness and care. It has actually given a taste of God to unsuspecting people anytime, anywhere, anyone. Now, if all of us would simply just take that definition to heart and understand that Jesus wants to use you as a conduit, as a pipe, as a well, a flow, a, a, an impacting person in other people's lives, and you would have a feeling about showing that love and compassion anytime to anyone, things would begin to happen in your life every day. You could not go six steps out of your door without probably running into a thought or a person or some kind of a need that you need to actually express, some kind of care or kindness or love. Or, as Jesus says, showing compassion with passion, showing a feeling of love with passion, showing that feeling of of care and kindness with passion. A person can have kindness and not passion. Jesus says you have to do it with compassion, with passion. You have to show that kind of kindness with a passion that your heart actually flows from your life into that person's world and you touch them. The Lord Jesus is the model for compassion. Now there's reasons why we don't show compassion. One is sometimes we don't have it to show, it's not in us. We don't have any virtue to flow out. Maybe we had it at some time, but we don't at this season in life. There could have been a lot of reasons why. Maybe your compassion tank is unempty. Or it could be that you've never known the love and care of God in your life that ever did fill your tank. So you've never really been able to show that to other people because you yourself in need. Could also be that you've become a person who is... Together. And you're not around needy people. You're not around anybody that is poor. Anybody that is hurting. Anybody that's going through a disease. Or anyone that is just falling apart of the same. You're not around those people. You're, you're a pretty together person. And therefore you're around all kinds of people that are pretty together. So everywhere that you touch. Whether you go to your job. Or your neighborhood party. Or you go out to dinner with a friend. It's always pretty together people. There's no one really Falling apart in front of you. Nobody calls you and meets you at the dinner restaurant and then falls apart and blows at the table and just and sobs and carries on. Maybe you haven't been around that very much because your life has entered a season where everything around you is together. Everybody, you know, is together. Everything that happened is pretty stable. You're not around people that are making a lot of bad decisions or people that are under a a lot of stress or physical problems or terminal disease or drug addictions or whatever it might be in their life. So sometimes we get used to our world. Then we're shocked. When we go on a trip somewhere to another country, we're really shocked by a culture. If you visit somewhere poor, you're really shocked by poverty. or, Or you get involved with some young people, you're really shocked by what's going on in their life. Sometimes we're so sheltered. We really don't have a need to show compassion. So when I say to you, go show compassion, it's like, where? You almost have to strategize and go out of your way, out of your world, to actually find that kind of a need that you could feel so deeply about, that you could pour your life into them. The Lord Jesus was that kind of a person. Jesus planned his life around encounters with other people's lives. That's what he meant by saying, I'm going about my father's business. That's what he meant by, you can be touched by what I feel because I feel for these people. That's why he said, I must go through the city. I must stop here. I must go there. Jesus planned his life around other people. One, one person, not crowds. Crowds followed him. He never followed the crowd. Jesus never, ever followed the crowd. Ever. They followed him. They gathered him. They pressed him. They wanted to listen to him. But he would change heaven and earth to get to that one man's house that he would say, come down from that tree. I'm going to your house today. You. Not eating with the crowd. I'm eating with you. That one woman. That one Centurion. That one, that one, one. What would happen if you planned your day around someone else's need? You actually planned an encounter, you actually went and sat in Starbucks. With the idea that you were going to wait for that one quickening to encounter the person that you knew you should talk with that day. And you were looking and praying and sensitive to the compassion encounter that would take place at the Starbucks or the Safeway or on the Mac or wherever you might be. However you're traveling, wherever you're going, on the train. You are looking for that one encounter. And you're praying all day long. Where's it at? Where's it at? I'm living my life to meet someone else's need. Sometimes it's not a matter of the... The need just come in your way. It's a matter of you planning, strategizing. Luke 4 and verse 18. It is taken from Isaiah 61. It's the great prophecy of the Lord Jesus on what he would be like. You know the scripture, I would think. Luke four eighteen, 18. The spirit of the Lord is upon me. Would you say out loud, the spirit is upon me too? Because he has anointed me. Will you say out loud, I'm anointed also. To preach, would you say out loud, I could preach. Not preaching like I'm preaching this morning. Preaching is a sharing of the good news called the gospel. Preaching is not oratory. Preaching is not sometimes what we imagine it to be. Preaching is a message and a messenger, a communication, a taking of something to someone else, which everybody can do. Preaching is not just for one preacher. Jesus said he was anointed to preach the gospel to the poor. Notice, he has sent me to heal the broken hearted. Compassion for the broken hearted is my subject. Jesus said, one of my strategies is to encounter broken hearted people. The Greek word son, treble, is the word that is used and translated in a number of different ways in the New Testament. But one of them, or several of them, and the words that would come to your mind if you would read the scriptures with them would be shatter, crush, break in pieces, come apart, bruised, wounded, all from this same Greek word to beat, to beat down, to beat something down. So Jesus said, I'm anointed to heal the centribos, the broken in heart. Those that have been crushed, beat, shattered, come apart of the seams, people. I'm a professional in a way that I'm supposed to feel for that kind of person right there. I should feel for that person. And I do. I'm, I'm quite a feeling person. And I actually have a deep, deep love for broken people. But there are times that I totally miss them. There are times when I don't fix them. And there are times when I don't want to take the time to have the virtue I have to rise to the challenge therein because I know how much drainage will take place and how much time and effort it's going to take to actually touch that need. And sometimes I'll just let the need go by. Oh, I'll touch it superficially with a prayer and honestly not to be a surface person, but knowing that I don't have the virtue or I don't want to have the virtue to go that deep. Jesus never run out of that. He never had a compassion empty tank. He he never had an issue where he would say, I'll pass that one by. Whoops, that one, that's too complicated. Mm -mm, I'm not going there. You know what? I am really getting worn out, listening to their story, listening to their problem. Every time they call, I know it's going to be all about what's going on. It's going to be all about their problem I've heard it 10 times already and I am just problem out. Hey, wake up. I have my own problems, you know. Why, can I, why should I listen to their problems all the time? I'm, I have so, some problems and a few hurts down here. Why doesn't someone spend some time with me? I don't need to talk to them all the time. Am I the only one that ever feels that? How many of you have ever just lived what I just said? We do. We experience this. That's why we need so desperately to be filled with Jesus, so desperately to be touched by Jesus, so desperately to use church as a filling station, not as a stop station. It's a filling station. It's a time to come in and be renewed in my virtue, renewed in my mind, and reminded about the goodness of God and the forgiveness of God and the blood of Jesus and the power of the Spirit and all that God has done in my life and all the encounters I've had and everything that's going on so that I can take that virtue and not lose pers- on why I feel anointing or why I feel presence or why I feel any kind of motivation. It is that I might preach the gospel to the brokenhearted. Brokenhearted spells time. Brokenhearted spells confusion. Brokenhearted spells tears. Brokenhearted. A very specific group of people Psalm sixty nine verse twenty. Reproach has broken my heart. I'm full of heaviness. I looked for someone to take pity, but there was none for comforters, but I didn't find anybody. Psalm thirty four eighteen. The Lord is near to those who have a broken heart. And save such as have a contrite spirit. The Lord is near to those who have a broken heart. Brokenness can be a positive thing, and Scripture does point that out. But brokenness is brokenness, whether it's external, internal, something about the heart here. There's there's an internal brokenness that draws God in. Proverbs 15, verse 13. A merry heart makes a cheerful count. That's why we like to be around people that are happy and cheerful. A merry heart makes a cheerful count. But sorrow of the heart, the spirit is Broken. Broken. Sorrow. In America today, there is an abundance of sorrow hidden by an abundance of luxuries and superficial drugs and superficial shopping and superficial media and superficial entertainment and superficial that tries to somehow hide the true brokenness of the human nature or the culture itself or the soul of a person. So they can hide it. They can dress it up. They can work it up. They can smile it up. They can pleasure it up. They can entertain it up. They can do everything they can to try to hide what is broken inside of them. But we are around broken people every single day. They don't come forward and say, by the way, I'm broken. Will someone fix me? They don't talk about it that way. But they're all around. A merry heart. People like to be with a laugher, a joyful person. But who likes to be with someone who's filled with sorrow, whose spirit is broken? Oh, we would call it Boy, that person is really depressed, oppressed. Boy, has someone ever talked to them about their face, how they look all the time? Or ever go into a restaurant or a business or receptionist or uh, a teacher or anywhere else, and their facial expressions and their mood is so... Obviously wrong that you say to yourself, why do you have a job like this? Why do you work with people? Has anyone ever talked with you about the way you look? You're so mean. You're so mad. You're so sorrowful. You're so depressed looking. To go beyond that. Again, is to ask, why are they broken like that? One of the best books I can recommend that is... uh, a conversational storybook. It's not a theological teaching book. It's a conversational storybook, and it's written by Billy Graham's daughter. And the name of the book is A Broken Heart in Every Pew. The book is her life story, which will shock you, by the way, being Billy Graham's daughter. Her life story is a shocker. The pain and the sorrow she's gone through with her divorce, with her children, With her church, with her life, with her parents, is all laid out in print. Where you can read about this broken life person. That she was not an adulteress. She did not bring this on herself. She received these things into her life. She was a great mother. She was a great wife. But her husband left her for another woman and her children got messed up emotionally and they couldn't handle it. Her daughter got pregnant once at 17, had to adopt the baby out, got pregnant again and kept the baby. She went through two teen pregnancies with her daughter, the shame, the guilt all that she went through, the brokenness of her heart. And one of the things she says in the book that really kind of gets my attention and, and I try to think about myself and our church and our church people is that she could not talk with people in the church about it. She was embarrassed. And when she did try to talk, they didn't understand. Or people really thought she was the one who must have done something to bring this on herself. And so she was not able to share. It. Broken heart. She would go sit in parking lot with her car and sob in her car. She would take long drives by herself and cry for three, four, five, six hours at a time. She was totally 1,000% broken. And she finally came out. And all of a sudden, broken people started popping up everywhere. They started coming to her and you know, something's happened to me too. What? Our point? brokenness everywhere. Brokenness is not necessarily your fault. And if it was your fault, there's still healing for those who sin and those who willfully do something wrong. Jesus does not only heal the innocent, he heals the guilty. He does not just touch good people, he touches bad people. Also, but why should he touch me? Why should he touch anybody? None of us deserve his mercy. And so we, we take the guilt to ourselves and end up with a broken spirit. Proverbs 17, says, A merry heart does good like medicine, but a broken spirit dries the bones. It dries up everything. It dries up your personality. You're like an old riverbed. You used to have a river and nothing left but sand and stone. You dry up. You change You change spirit and soul of body. Now, it is a proven fact. It is a proven medical fact that a broken heart, emotionally, even though your heart physically doesn't break, it is a proven fact that a broken heart, emotional, spiritual, dried up personhood can actually affect the human body in such a way that it can physically kill you. Now, the doctors would not and did not want to put those two things together until recently they have come out with a number of articles for the last 15 years saying, this is a fact. A broken heart can cause physical problems to the point that a person can change their personality. It can change their physical appetite. And if severe enough shock, they can go into such a spiral that they will die from the broken heart. Very serious. That a broken heart could kill someone. I would imagine there are some broken hearted people that would say death would be a welcome sight for me. Everything else has already died. My dreams have died. My relationships have died. My future had died. For me to die, well, I'm not even going to eat. I will not speak with people. I will isolate myself. There's no reason to live because I am broken and shattered inside. There are people around us that experience this definition, the brokenhearted. Those who have experienced intense emotional pain. You could be one of those people sitting on any one of the campuses right now saying... You're talking to me, Frank. This is, yeah, I have. Suffering. After losing something. Very precious. A marriage, a son, a daughter. Losing them to death is one thing. Losing them to something else. Losing a son to the gay lifestyle can be a wake-up call for a parent. Does Jesus love gays? Yes. Does Jesus want to help them? Yes. Does Jesus touch them? Yes. So I'm not speaking against them. But the lifestyle can be a lifestyle that could crush a parent's spirit. Or lose a daughter to some kind of subculture. Or lose your children to some kind of a, a, a religion that would bind them to some kind of thing. Or lose them because there's an offense between you and them. And you never have them as a child. There's a lot of ways to lose something precious. A person that experiences intense pain has lost something. They go through deep disappointments, maybe not just through loss. Maybe it's through circumstance, failure, betrayal, wounded being taken advantage of by someone you love. Results in a broken heart, broken spirit, broken mind, broken whatever inside of you. The broken heart syndrome would look something like this. Physically, if you try tried to put your finger on it, these are words that are used to talk about. And I think people experience these because there's something broken inside of their soul. Tightness of chest. This is medically proven that it feels just like a heart attack, but it's not. And if you've ever had a shock, which I've had, a shock of brokenness, something happened that was horrible and you feel your chest tighten up, you feel like you could have a heart attack or you could do something. Your whole body begins to respond to this invisible whatever that's breaking your life. Insomnia, severe and often stomach aches, loss of appetite, sudden anger or apathy, I don't care. Hopelessness, fatigue, no energy left. Frequent crying just for no reason. Thousand yard stare. That could happen to some people without brokenness. (laughs) Feeling of complete emptiness. Brokenness. All right. The broken heart mindset could look like this. Negative thoughts start prevailing on you because you've had brokenness. You can't get rid of it. You start using some of these terminologies. I will never meet anyone else if it happens to be a broken relationship that has broken your heart, which a lot of people talk about, which is very real. I can't live without this person through death, divorce, or whatever happened. Or you start saying, you know, I'm the problem. It's me. I'm not smart enough to get through these things. I I just draw these kind of things into my life. There's something wrong with me. Your self-esteem goes down. I will never get over the pain. I've had... People tell me that. I have people tell me that a lot. I can't get over the pain. I can't leave it behind. I don't think I'll ever live without this hole in my heart. My response? Well, I'll tell you my response in a moment. A broken heart is serious. It can cause these things. A broken heart can result in hardened heart. When a person is broken and doesn't know how to deal with it, they can get hardened, stiff arm everybody and hide Bitterness, start blame shifting and just shut it off because of your brokenness and you can't fix yourself. You don't want to fix anyone else and you get bitter toward the person who caused the brokenness or the circumstance or even God himself. Results in health problems, broken relationships, living isolated and a loss of perspective. Turn To the gospel of Luke. Chapter 7. Grab your Bibles and go to Luke chapter 7. I want to read the story. Luke chapter 7. Beginning in verse 11. And I want you to take from the story... What I think the Holy Spirit could apply from the story to every life that's listening to this story. Luke chapter 7 verse 11. Now it happened. Would everyone say out loud, now it happened? One more time. The day after, everyone say the day after. That he went into a city called Nain. Nain. Jesus only went to Nain one time in his whole ministry. Nain was a small, out-of-the-way place. Nain was not known for anything. Nain was just a small, little hole-in-the-wall village. There was no reason for Jesus to do what he's going to do on this day when he says to the disciples, I'm going to Nain today. Nain. We're in Capernaum. You want to go to Nain? 25 miles away. Why do you want to go to Nain? Have some business to take care of in Nain. So his disciples are following with him. Many of his disciples went with him in a large crowd in Nain. Verse 12. When he came near the gate of the city, notice the timing. Jesus is coming in. And he stops at the gate of the city. And this procession is on their way out. So he encounters it. Behold, a dead man. Was being carried out. The only son. Of his mother. And she. She. Was a widow. And a large crowd from the city was with her. Now Jesus goes in the name. Out comes this burial procession. In those days. The day you died. Is the day you were buried. So the freshness of the emotion. The rawness. Of what the city was going through. This small town. A large crowd of people going out with this widow. Because we don't know a couple things. One. We don't know what happened to the son. And two. We don't know when the husband died. And now this woman is without everything. She has no future. She has no protection, no covering, no income. In those days, your son would take care of you. If your husband died, then the son would move you into the house and he would be in charge of you for the rest of the days of your life. But this woman had lost her husband. It could have been a week, a month, a year. We don't know. And then she loses her only son. Her only son. Verse thirteen. When the Lord saw her, here's our word. He had compassion on her, and he said to her, "Don't cry anymore." Came all that way to say to one woman, "Don't don't cry anymore. You've been crying long enough. Been crying over your husband." crying over life. Now you're crying over your son. Maybe her whole life. Jesus could see the whole life. There was something so special about this widow that Jesus had to travel that far to get at that gate at that hour to encounter that burial procession at that very moment to talk to that woman enough to whisper in her ear, quit crying. Stop. Then I'm sure the woman would have had quite a look on her face. Why on earth would you think I could quit crying? Why? Why do you think I can just turn it off just like that? Because you say, don't don't cry anymore. I lost my husband. There's my dead son. Irreversible. This circumstance is over. My life is over. There is no reversing. There's no turnaround on this thing. It is over. Now, I want you to listen to my words. Been crying long enough. Have an attitude of it's over. Nothing can reverse it. It's sorrow upon sorrow. It's bad thing upon bad thing. It's brokenness upon brokenness. This is this woman right here. And Jesus says, and I I have compassion for her. Then verse 14, then he came and touched, and I hope you underline the, these words in your Bible, the open coffin. And those who carried him stopped, they stood still. So Jesus says to the woman, quit crying. And then he stepped maybe in front of the pallbearers or maybe to the side, Or maybe when he just stretched out his hand to put his hand into the coffin, they stopped with an awe, with a question with certainly never happened before in their lifetime that someone put their hand in the coffin. You're not even allowed to touch a dead body. You have to go through all kinds of rituals. Nobody would touch a dead body. And Jesus is not just touching the dead body just out of interest. He's doing it with words. He's doing something here that these guys just stopped in their tracks. And he puts his hand right into the open coffin. And I imagine at this point, the mother moves around. What are you doing? What what are you doing, my dead son? Weep no more. Now you're going to put your hand in the coffin. What's going on here? And I just wonder how many people Your life, your life can be like an open coffin. Something had died inside of you. Maybe it's your marriage. Maybe it's your love for life. Maybe it's something worse that can be defined as some of the things that cause brokenness. But something is dead in you and you know it. You're like an open coffin on a procession and nobody will stop and put their hand in your coffin because they don't believe anything can happen if they put their hand in your coffin. There is no turnaround for this. There is no great ending story for this. This is a funeral. It's going to the grave. Not when Jesus is involved. Jesus says, no, not this one. So he puts his hand in the coffin. And he said, young man, I say to you, arise. So he who was dead sat up. I can't wait to see the DVD in heaven. Just exactly how this boy sitting in that coffin just sits up in the coffin. And it says he looked around and he started talking like most young people do. And he began to speak. And I think the first words out of his mouth was, wow. Whoa! Who's the funeral for? Who knows what he would have said? But as he leaned up in that coffin and looked around, Jesus said, There's your boy. He who was dead began to speak and he presented him to his mother, gave him to his mother. What a moment! What a moment! What a moment! Hey Frank, are you telling me Jesus is going to heal my dead kid or my departed? Oh, I'm not going there. But if you believe in the scriptures, there will be a day when Jesus will put that baby back in your arms. There will be a day when that son will be returned to you. There will be a day when you'll meet up again. It's not over. Not over. Miscarriage. Abortion. Premature death. Not over. There's hope in Christ. There's hope in Jesus. There's a way for you to perceive this and embrace this, that Jesus' grace can so fill your spirit. You can see it as a miracle of a broken heart being healed because you understand what is happening. Would you let Jesus put his hand in your coffin? Touch something dead inside of you? Fear came upon all of them. And they said, Surely a great prophet has arisen among us and God visited his people. And this report about him went throughout all Judea and all the surrounding areas. I believe that Jesus providentially has arrived at your gates right now, on this very day, right here. On every campus, on in every service this weekend, Jesus is arriving at people's gates. He's putting his hand into people's deadness and brokenness. And he's saying, rise and be healed. Receive a future. I won't let you live with your brokenness. I'm going to touch your life. I'm going to give you grace to move out of where you are. Can I hear an amen?